0: Uh, that's a praise. This is kind of a praise report. We had a great time. How many of you know Pastor Mike Reno I mean, I think some of you. Okay, so he's not completely foreign to many of you. So um, he spoke here a time or two, and uh, he's um, underway in Boston. They've been there about a year. Uh, they have a great location in the center of you know where the action's at in Boston, and, and really a good neighborhood um, for those of you familiar with Boston. It's it's. Um, it's really not in the Ruggles neighborhood. It's called Ruggles Baptist Church, but it's east of that, um, and so um, and kind of what would that be? Northeast. So it's in a really prime neighborhood, just down the street, right on the right on the Boston uh, University uh, campus. Literally, the housing for Boston University is right across the street on one corner, and then just you know go a, a mile the other direction. You got Northeast University. You go up the street, you know. Uh, Uh, half a mile near MIT so just in a really good area and then as you go uh, to the uh, east of there uh, you get into more um, affluent areas you know leading up to the city center so a very nice location very stately old building you know uh, one of the first buildings there for baptists in boston not the first but it's an early early church uh, building been there for you know i don't know a couple hundred years you remember the dates on that I got it somewhere, but it's the congregations uh, there started those churches. You know, 1700s, 1800s, is amazing. So, anyway, he's in this historic building, uh, sharing it with uh, several other churches. So his service times are on Sunday night and Tuesday night, and we landed on the ground and went to work right away, um, and it was a great time. Uh, very noted for being cold, um, and I'm Brady. He's going to share just a few words about his experience. I wanted to have a couple of pictures for you, but we weren't able to get those up tonight, so I apologize for that. I'll try to get some for Sunday but and show you some of these things that we're talking about. But um, the people there were very, uh, not as as cold as I was thinking, uh, just busy and uh, uninterested, which is okay because we got to find a lot of interested people and have a lot of good conversations, gospel conversations. Uh, we didn't have a lot of, you know, bow your head and confess with your mouth activity on the street, and you wouldn't really expect that in Boston anyway, um, but uh, we did make a lot of good connections, a lot of invitations and uh, and so I wanted to have Brady uh, come and just share whatever he wanted to share up in a, in a you know in a brief moment or two, just kind of give you guys an update uh, the uh, Chris, I think Chris is working probably, and then uh, uh, the uh, 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 Jim Stovall was on the trip as well they They're probably watching online. Are we online yet? Okay, so Jim, shout out to Jim. Um, and so, Jim Stovall, uh, Chris Cohen led the trip, and then me and Brady and uh, Jim were following Cohen's lead, and it was a great trip. So, Brady, you want to come up and just share a little bit about the trip? And we got you connected and directed right here.
1: You good. <coughs> so, yes, like uh, Brian said, we got to wrap six days into 30 seconds or more, so this ought to be fun. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you and uh, collectively as a group there we go, I can hear it um, I want to thank everyone in here for the prayers and online, that was a big that was a big deal was all the prayers, we wouldn't have been able to do anything without them um, all the people that we reached you know, all the, all of you guys were praying we were, we we're really grateful for that Uh I personally want to say thank you for praying for my household and uh the people that took it upon themselves to go over there and uh just visit with Holly and the kids and, and uh that was a big relief uh as I was gone. Um so it was that was a big that was a big deal. So thank you guys for that. Uh Boston was great. Like I said I have to wrap six six days into thirty seconds. Um as soon as the plane landed, <laughs> we we hit the ground running. I mean it was it was just fantastic. I mean it was I didn't I did, I know Brian but I didn't know Brian just like Jim. Uh, me and Chris are actually in HBI together, so we well, we've fought the battle together, uh, side by side. But to go out on the field is a whole different ballgame. Um, so we were in this Airbnb, which was really cool. We all, all everybody with Jim and Chris got our own bedroom. Um, I mean, it was it was laid out great, um, and it was just. It was a huge blessing to go. Chris led it, and it uh, the the flight there was was smooth. We didn't run into any issues. We got there, like I said, we hit the ground running. We were I think we were on the street that night in front of their church, just handing out uh, invitations to Sunday service. And um, if I had more time, I could go into the friends deal that they have going on for internationals. Um, but we were able to hand a bunch of those out, and then just every day we did the same thing. I mean, we just we got up. Um, whatever time in the morning, had breakfast, devotion, and then we went and just hit the streets, hit the parks. Um, His team was fantastic with us, uh, Brooke and uh, Tristan. They spent a whole day with us, just taking us around to the the different universities. The Boston College was probably the prettiest. It's actually prettier than Harvard, believe it or not. Um, But it was was great going into the colleges, and, and the young people that you see just... Everybody was moving in, too, so everybody was moving in um, all pretty much at the same time. So there was a lot of parents, a lot of drop-offs. Uh, there was just a lot of traffic. Um, we didn't hit the colleges a whole lot as much as we did the streets just because there was a lot of boundaries we had to stay within to not get yelled at or kicked off the premises. Um, so that that part was good, but it was just they, spent, they took, you know, they sacrificed a whole day. And just took us out for lunch, and and the Renault's did the same thing. They sacrificed a lot of time from his work, and her from being home and in school, and just to entertain us. And it was fantastic. Um, it was it was just really cool to to just till the ground, and to spread the gospel. Uh, like Brian said, we didn't really we didn't have any verbal salvations right in front of us, but you know when you show up to church. Sunday night for a service, and there's six new people from the streets that are in service, I mean, that's like a huge, that's a huge inspiration uh, to us, because, you know, they they never seen it before, we'd never seen it before, so it was great for them to walk in the door just by our actions, which were obedient actions, so it was great, and then uh, at Chipotle, I mean, right after that service, our last night there, we went and had Chipotle, and and I uh, ended up witnessing to one of the workers right outside where we were sitting. So that was, there's a, a lot of potential fruit that we saw. And it was just a huge blessing to um, just, like I said, till the ground with the team that we went with. It was fantastic. Um, it was great to get to know Jim even more on a personal level, Brian and Chris and myself. I mean, it was just, it was really great to, once again, till the ground personally with these guys and to spend six whole days with them and um it was just it was fantastic so i could talk all day on this so i'll I'll wrap it up with that but once again i want to say thank you to everyone for the prayers like i said that's huge that uh, nothing would have been able to get done without prayers and we prayed every time we left the airbnb every time we left the church i mean this whole thing was just so god's work um, was just being revealed and it, it wouldn't have been without prayer so we really are thankful
0: No, it's off. It just goes off. So did you touch the button on it? Uh, no. It's okay. still lit up. Good. Um, so thanks, Brady. And it was great to go out with Brady and the guys. It was cool. A lot of. I highly recommend this this trip if we do it again. Uh it's a trip that, you know, um anybody could go on. If you're born again and uh, you want to witness, it's a great trip. Get out. You know, Boston, it really it was uh, good. I it was a it was as it was as diverse to me. Brady and I had some side, you know, side conversation about this because he's been to London a few times. I've been to London and I've been to other places, but it was as foreign as London. It really was. Even though the language is the same, pretty much of so the Yaka and all that stuff, uh, it was. Uh, it's a very, it's a different culture for us Midwesterners, and I mean, it's very good. And in some ways, it's. It's uh, when you go to London, you expect a different culture because it's another country, obviously. Uh, it is another culture, no doubt about it. So in the United States. We know there's different cultures even within our own, well, within our own county, our own cities here. But when you, you don't expect that, it's really got its own unique culture. I think even among the Eastern cities, it's got its own culture. That's why there's a lot of romance around the different aspects and uh, art made you know, movies and what have you around Boston because it is uh, a unique uh, kind of melting pot. And uh, as, as much as they want to be united and strong, they're also divided and, and very uh, stratified. Uh, both, uh, um, you know, really socially as much as anything, and even economically. So you have a lot of haves and have-nots, not, have and, and you have a interesting uh, dial, uh, you know, group of people there. And so uh, I, I can't say enough. I, I just want to say amen to what Brady said, and enough about how much they invested in us. It's a, I know from being a church planner, uh, you know, one of the reasons I never like called upon KCBT. to bring five hundred people and let's canvas Harrisonville, because what do you do if you know, you're a church of, you, know, you got five families and 200 people show up one Sunday, what do you, you're not gonna really effectively disciple that many people. And so um, I, I didn't do that because I expected results um, like that in a community like this. But there, it's the opposite. You could send 500 workers and canvas the streets and you might come up with 100 people, but you're probably gonna come up with 25 or 50. I mean, it's really, uh, it is not as uh, uh, warm uh to the gospel as the midwest uh for sure so so having six people come by, with our you know i wouldn't say a little effort we put a lot of effort but it really was still a lot of results for the what we put in i was really 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 thankful cuz we really did it by we were sowing by faith we had no idea what would happen and we had some and some of the conversations that we had were outstanding um with people that were not from boston that we met on the streets um, one in particular I had with a lady from Connecticut that just was looking for the museum. I just happened to know where it was because I passed it and told her what entrances were open, what were, were not. And uh, and God just opened this door. I mean, like tears in her eyes type of door. She's she's a Methodist, but she'd never. I don't think she's ever really grasped the gospel till that moment on the street. And uh, her eyes were well enough with tears. And I mean, it was it was almost like let's bow our heads and pray. But I could tell I pushed it just as far as I could go. And and I let her go with, with that and the gospel track and, you know, some information. to, to And, I, you know, I really encouraged her strongly to go ahead and finish this discussion with God herself privately. So I don't know what will come of that, but I wouldn't be surprised if she didn't get saved, you know, that day. So so those types of conversations were happening. And for me, I'm like, that, that was worth the trip, just one of those. But we had more than one of those. So uh, and seeing people come. Uh, to church that was outstanding people we, we talked to on the streets that who didn't want to talk to us initially a lot of these it wasn't like they're looking to talk to us they're going somewhere uh, in that town everybody's going somewhere and they got something to do and uh, the the mass transit is is the foot and the bike and the and the few less cars and more public transit you know the subways and the buses and such so so to grab them and get them connected and directed was really cool uh, just be praying for Mike Renault and his team he mentioned uh, Brooke Brooke's, uh, Mike Sidebottom's daughter uh, she moved out there She's, uh, she goes to Midtown Baptist as well as Mike they're, they're all out of Midtown uh, so his team is a small team from Midtown uh, Brooke Sidebottom is, uh, is the, the daughter though of Mike Sidebottom who uh, used to serve used to pray for this church so her dad when she was a little girl was praying for this church plant they were, they were in charge of praying for Heartland and so that was pretty cool back in the day um, and now I'm out, out running the streets of Boston with his daughter. So that was that was really neat. Uh, and then a couple of their families that were out, so we had the privilege of kind of stepping in and helping and really helping lift the church a little bit because it would have been pretty monumental for them as a couple, really is what it boiled down to, uh, for people to pull off a church service, um, you know, without the help that, that we provided. So it was really good, just an encouragement. They could have done it, but it would have made it a lot more strenuous. So, So I think it was a profitable time, and, And we enjoyed it. I'm going to try to, uh, I don't know if Jim, Jim is usually online. So if he's online, I might see if Jim and Chris could add a little bit Sunday coming up and kind of top off the report. But it was a good time. So be praying about that if we do it again. I've had some discussions with Mike about maybe some uh, strategically uh, using this as a, you know, doing some different things uh, as far as, um, not different, but maybe a little bit more intentional with some things after being there and looking at it and uh, and we found some good fishing holes too uh, I mean some really it's amazing on the camp one campus it's closed you know people just are cold and the next campus they're open and it's usually a difference between where they come from you know Americans seem to be a little colder than international students so uh, and then he's also praying about you know the work in the suburbs uh, of you know where the families live and all of that they live in Watertown which is just uh, prototypical New England uh, community, and uh, you know this the whole lifestyle is different you don 't get your house in your yard and all that you just can't afford it you know and so uh, they live in a house, but they share one floor with another and if you' ever seen any of those Boston movies uh, that's not unusual uh, in Boston, so you share a house with someone else and you know you got one floor and they got another floor, two entrances or whatever you share the drive, share the garage, share everything so that whole communal system is is uh, is really built in. And for us Midwesterners, that, you know, like our our property and our and our guns and our and our world out here and our independence, it's just completely. Uh, it's a good trip to really. You'll want to come home when you're done. I promise you, you'll be like, man, I love the Midwest. So uh, it's good to be home. That's for sure. All right. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Revelation chapter three. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, and um, this kind of part B, um, and we're going through church history. If you're just joining us. Uh, my name is Brian, Brian Hedges, I'm pastor at Heartland, and I haven't been in the pulpit much this last week here anyway, and uh, and so I really appreciate Randy and Bob filling in Sunday, and uh, Bob, I had the live stream on you, and then I lost it, so I didn't get to see see what was going on, and, and, and uh, I was downtown Boston whenever Randy came to do the Lord's Supper, I was watching that I had to get offline, so I did miss all of that, and uh, I got to get back and watch the sermons, but I heard that everyone did great, and so I praise the Lord for that. Uh, Revelation chapter chapter 3, we've moved into the third chapter, praise God, and uh, we're in the church of Sardis. So if you're just joining us on this study of church history, we call this a Bible believer's biblical heritage, and um, we do that because of some of the information we're going to touch on here in just a moment in our notes regarding, um, you know, the fact that we are not Protestants, right? We really draw our, Bible, our, our history, our heritage from the Word of God and uh and there's several you know groups over the last couple thousand years that have have uh, done that you know um and so we uh basically base it off the seven churches and what god is doing it through history as we can see a template for that in the book of revelation two and three uh before the catching away of the church in revelation four and verse one so uh, we've talked about the birth of christianity uh we've looked at the church of ephesus the church of smyrna uh, origin in alexandria pergamus thyatira and now we are on uh to sardis so we only have probably four more sessions if that and then we'll be done with this section so will be getting ready to look uh, jason's going to do a series on family coming up so that'll be good and and uh, we'll have some other uh, teaching as well lined up here in the next few months but uh, uh and we may go back to some qa for a little while you guys seem to enjoy some qa i enjoy qa that's always a good time so we've uh, worked our way up with each church age. We cover a series of, of years, right? And so um, I'm going to go back to my key because I, I always mess those up. The first church, obviously, is from the resurrection of Jesus Christ through um, uh, the first century, uh, A.D., 1 A.D., 100 A.D., or 200 A.D., uh, Ephesus, 33 A.D. to 200 A.D., and Smyrna covers from 200 A.D. to 325 A.D., um, and then Pergamus, 325 to 500 A.D., uh, Thyatira from 500 A.D. to 1,000 A.D., and then Sardis, uh, which is 1,000 to 1,500 A.D., uh, and they, that name, ma- name means red ones. And then the last two churches are Philadelphia and Laodicea. That will take us—Philadelphia takes you from about 1,500 to about 1881 or 1,900 to round it off, or, and Laodicea is about 1,900 to the rapture, the catching away of the church. Alright, so in our text, in Revelation chapter 3, let's just look at uh, this church together and read it. And I'm going to pray once more, and this time when I pray over the text, we'll pray for our brother uh, James Horton as well. So it says in verse 1, "Under the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things saith he that hath seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know thy works, that thou thou, uh, hast a name. That thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy work perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast receive, received and heard and hold fast and repent. Uh, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, uh, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Heavenly Father, I just want to pause again. We mentioned James Horton earlier. Uh, I pray, God, that you would just uh, be with James as he's up in the hospital right now. And Lord, be with us as we look at the Word of God here, and we look at this church of Sardis, Lord, I pray, God, that you just open our eyes and teach us wonderful things. And thank you for the work that Mark Lockwood has laid out in advance of this. And I thank you for uh, the, the learning and the teaching he packed in last week and all the good times that we had last week with the TNT transition and the fun in the sun uh, culmination. Lord, it was a great time. I just pray tonight, Lord, you give uh, the kids a great time and the folks in D2 that's starting off tonight a great time. And, Lord, that you're glorified. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. so uh, So tonight... Um, we are going to just pick up on our notes. So we've covered, um, you know, i got to back up. Let me just quickly go through where we've been. We've covered the uh, time frame. This church age begins in the middle of the dark ages. It continues till the times of the Reformation. We don't use that term dark ages anymore. They call it the middle ages, but it was dark ages for a reason. Are any of you standing here with empty blanks right now, wanting to get these filled in? Is everybody caught up? Let me ask that. So every, give me a... Yes? No? Anybody need notes? We still have notes out at the connections counter if you need them. Okay, so I'll, I'll move through these. I know Mark got through this, so I just want to make sure. So the Roman religion at that period is its peak. It's the golden age of papal power, which is why it was so dark. Um, at this time period, it introduced the Crusades, uh, the, Sp- the uh, Spanish uh, Inquisitions, the invasions of Saladin, and Genghis Khan, uh, of course, Saladin takes over uh, modern-day Turkey, and then uh, Genghis Khan invades uh, Europe, and it really freaks everybody out. There, there's the Crusades uh, that uh, the influx of Asian culture, Hinduism, Muslim philosophy begin to creep into Europe through those cr- Crusades, and then we saw the bubonic plague reaches epic proportions. And you talk about a plague; those were plagues back in those days. And then the Renaissance period began to sweep throughout Europe, right? And so we know about that um, at, around that time with the advent of the printing press in the 1400s. What happened is the Bible got printed, right? And the lights started to come on. And so um, we call it, you know, the, the, well, the, the Reformation is how it's called. Most, we'll look at that in the Philadelphian church age. But uh, really it is an awakening of sorts uh, because the Word of God began, began to be free and uh, began to move about as we're trying to do here. By the way, before, while I pause, Bob, I have a conversation I need to have with you about some Bibles tonight. So uh, you can give, move it pass it on to Randy, but I just got a request for some, so I need to put it in your court. Um, so understanding the text, Revelation 3, 1 through 6, we talked about uh, that, considering the meaning of the name Sardis, which is red ones, uh, the saints at this time, um, were uh, referred to for, were referred to as red ones um, because they were uh, typified with bloodshed, torture, and martyrdom, and so we understand that it was a very difficult time for the church. Uh, according to the Catholic Encyclopedia, uh, the the uh, the capa magna is a cloak with a long train and hooded uh, shoulder cape that is purple for bishops and, and scarlet for cardinals. So all of these things started to be, uh, you know, implemented. When you look at Revelation 17, 6, you see the elements of the mystery Babylon religion that we saw so clearly in Pergamos. That Babylonian priesthood shows up uh, through the Roman church. Uh, The purple for bishops, the scarlet for cardinals, um, the cassock, the official garb of the clergy is purple for bishops, scarlet for cardinals. Uh, The pectoral cross, a chain um, around the neck should be made of gold and decorated with gems. And the golden chalice uh, which is uh, one of the most important sacred vessels. So I think all that was covered by uh, last week by Mark, also King on the seven mountains and talking about the Vatican City and uh, all of those things. I'm going I'm to skip over that, all the world leaders. i got a lot I could say about all of that, but I'm not going to um, for now. Um, it was interesting, I will say this, it's interesting to be at Boston College because that's a large Catholic university JFK, uh, Robert Kennedy, you know all of that stuff. Very nice. That's what uh, uh, Brady was pointing out. I'm like, if I wanted to, if I just looked on appearances and was going to send my child to a university, that'd be the one you'd want. Just the nicest, cleanest, just I mean immaculate. It's just wonderful looking. Um, uh, so it's very seductive, you know, very attractive. And so uh, you just like, man, this is this is really nice. A lot of power brokers working there too, and so a lot of things happening. On that campus, uh, directly related to what we're talking about here. So, anyway, another moving on. So, um, and so you guys looked at the, uh, you know, the great city that rules over the kings. Uh, Pope Leo made that medal uh, with his image on one side, and the Church of Rome symbolized as a woman, uh, with these words set at Super Universum around her, meaning the the whole world is her seat. And so, today in Europe, you have the, the imagery of. Uh, Europa riding a bull, the woman that rides a beast. So the same images are still there, all over the place in Europe to this day. Uh, this is this is a little bit more tame because she was she was ruling and reigning at that point. Uh, today it's uh, it's very much the imagery that you see in the Book of Revelations. So just in your face, you can see it. Um, you got you see the world leaders before the Pope. There, he covered all that. So the introduction, um, we he took you through verse. One, the seven spirits are his eyes, the seven stars are his angels. The church has the testimony of saying that it is alive, but it's really dead, just like in the, just reading Proverbs this, this morning, uh, just like that whorish woman, her feet are hooked on the depths of hell, and the dead go there. And so, a uh, very seductive religious system. Uh, talked about the condemnation, and now we're getting closer to where we're going to pick up. So, let's look at our text Revelation chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. It says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come upon thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Of course, they had those plagues at that time, and uh, it was a difficult time. So we saw that uh, the church claims that her works are perfect, the perfect will of God, but God does not agree with that, and God warns this church to repent, or she will go up in smoke, which will happen in Revelation 18. Um, and so, what she's going to be—actually, she's going to be killed uh, by the uh, the people that put that she works with to put the Antichrist in power, according to Revelation 17. So, what are her works that she needs to repent of? So, glad you asked. These you guys touched on these last time. Let me get to that. There they are. Uh, the seven uh, the seven, crusades um, you know and they're listed there uh, already touched on those last week uh, Bible believing Christians were not uh, behind the crusades this is really kind of confusing in history if you go outside of the United States in the United States the, there's definitely a demarcation uh, most people understand the difference um, I didn't really until I got saved but if you're born again you certainly understand the difference between um, you know, the Crusades and Bible-believing Christianity. But a lot of people don't um, around the world. So if you talk to a Muslim, if you're witnessing to a Muslim, and you're like, hey, I'm a Christian, what they think of you as is a crusading Catholic. That's the, that's the first thought in their mind, is you're a crusading Catholic. And so one of the things that I... I just actually spoke to a really nice Muslim uh, last Tuesday night, as a matter of fact. And uh, we had a good conversation, and we went to prophecy Um, because I, you know, I didn't get into it, but I spent about an hour on the streets of London one time talking to a a more, probably much more radical uh, Islam, Islamic fella, and one of the things I did very intentionally was agree with him where I could on, on Rome. I I would, I was like, well, yeah, I agree with that, I agree with that, because he was just bashing Rome, bashing Rome, and, you know, to the point he finally had to ask me, well, you know, that's your church. I'm like, no, it's never been my church, and I, I took him back to the Bible, you know, and, you know, I, and I got into the issues of pay, you know pagan Rome is pagan, which so is Islam, by the way, and so um, and so they kind of gave me a sliver. Uh, he didn't want to, of course. He was pretty radical, so I don't think we were going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. But uh, we did have a good long discussion, and I was able, finally able to get him to realize there are Bible believers. There's people of the book that don't identify with Rome at all, and would actually agree that they're You know, they're as wicked as you think. I think they're as wicked as Islam thinks they are. Uh, And so that is, but I don't, uh, I don't, uh, at least in the leadership, I should be careful how I say that. Uh, Many great Roman Catholic people, just like there's many great Islamic people, right? Just because you're a Muslim doesn't mean you're a bad person as far as measuring ourselves by ourselves goes. Uh, In in human terms, it's the teaching that's wicked uh, because it twists the truth of God's word or flat out denies and lies about who Jesus Christ is. So that's the issue. Is Jesus Christ the Bible who we're worshiping? Uh, when it comes to the leadership of Rome, that is not the case. And so it's also not the case that many Baptist preachers will stand up and say that anymore. 30- 40 years ago that was common. Uh, hundred years ago that was the course. Um, you know, today it's like everybody's running around with their tail tucked between their legs because political correctness also affects uh, theological, you know, perspectives. But it's important as the days go forward because eventually Islam and I think Islam and Rome are going to hold hands together, believe it or not, and so we will be the odd men out just like always, just like church history. So that's one of the reasons it's important to to study church history is so like when something happens like that and all of a sudden you feel like the odd man out, you know, wait a minute, what happened? Well, this is what's always happened. And the main thing that you have to remember is to hold fast to the faithful word as you've been taught. The, The authority is always the Bible. It's always God's word, and uh, we do not let go. Of, we hold fast to what we've been taught because this is truth, not the teachings of men, not the council of Nicaea, not the uh, peace agreements that are made somewhere else that, that we're not even at the table for. The pope doesn't speak for us. He doesn't speak for this church. He doesn't speak, uh-uh. The Bible speaks for us, right? The word of God is our authority, and that's what we, that's what we hold fast to. And we're so fortunate to live in a country where I can say that out loud right now, and I don't have to worry about getting hauled off. I don't have to get. I don't have to worry about you know somebody coming in here and taking me away or shutting us down or taking us off the internet. Well, they may take us off the internet, but at any rate, you know, for the most part, you don't have to worry about like real serious persecution yet. So, uh, Bible believing Christians were not uh, behind those crusades. That's important to remember. Um, and the uh, throughout the crusades, millions of Bible believers, believers, Muslims, and mis- and nonconformists lost their lives under the heavy hand of Rome. And so, of course, the Harrisonville and Cass County, you guys, whether someone's a Christian or not, most people that live in this region are kind of like nonconformists. Missouri, as a whole, is kind of a nonconformist state. That's why they didn't take up historically. They wouldn't take up a side. You know, they're like, just forget all of you. We're just going to be our own people. You know? <laughs> That's why you got the Amarugis down here. We're going to de- de- we're going to declare our own kingdom. You know, and so there's also a problem of doing what's right in your own eyes. So there's a balance there, right? If Jesus isn't the king and you just have rebellion, and so, and so Jesus has to be the one in charge. So, um, so the the uh, the uh, Crusades touched a lot of different peoples, uh, not just uh, the, the Muslims, right? Even Bible believers and and many others got sucked up into The, the Jews, man, they got slaughtered a few times in the Crusades uh, because you know they were go- while we're going while we're going down to fight the Muslims, let's go over here and slay some Jews while we're at it. So, the Crusades were not kind to Jews either. Um, Rome. Uh, claimed to have three basic reasons for the Crusades, which is important, and that was to conquer and assume the Holy Land. Am I, where am I at? Okay, let me back up. There we go. Conquer and assume the Holy Land to stop the spread of Islamic religion and to unite uh, the East and West branches of Catholicism, which is what today is Orthodox. got to talk to a lot of Orthodox, we had an Orthodox fellow show up. I talked to several Orthodox this last week, by the way. Yes, ma'am. Oh yeah, that's a good question. So Rome uh, initially, the, the head of the Rome, the of the head of the Roman Church, the head of the church was the church was in, initially in Istanbul, and so it, it's well there was Rome and then there was what was it called before Istanbul? Constantinople, right? Constantinople was the, the Eastern Orthodox, and that's the Orthodox Church, and then you had the Roman Church, and the Roman Church developed from there. So they had a split, and uh, and they split into two two legs, so to speak. Very similar today. I got into that in the earlier session when I was talking about Pope Shenandoah out of Egypt, and the Greek Orthodox. They all, the Greek Orthodox and the and the Coptic Church, still acknowledge the Roman Pope, uh, but they also have their own. Uh, the Coptics have their own Pope. The Orthodox, I don't believe, have their own Pope. They have their own priesthood, and uh, the the uh, Orthodox are are still just as liturgical and messed up as the Romans, but not not quite as much. I would say. Um, at least they still reference the Bible more than just whatever the Pope says and throw the Bible out. So, um, but yeah, they all kind of come from the same, you know, source initially. And then they split the Eastern and West, and of course, down in down in Egypt, you've, from day one, you've had the makings for the Coptic Church with Origen and all those fellows. They just kept on going. So, and they have their own, like I said, they had their own Pope down there. But they all come from the same uh, Babylonian. Background and same imagery, same r- rituals, et cetera, et cetera, and, uh, and so that's a good question, and so that's the East and West. When we say East and West branches of Catholicism, so Catholicism is universalism, so that's why, like in the the, the uh, there's kind of the dividing line on who rules. So you can st- you can see very clearly in Russia, the Orthodox Church is prominent in every picture of Moscow. You got the big, you know, the Orthodox. So through all of the communism and all of the things that went on in Russia. The only church that survived, you know, legally was the Orthodox Church because there's two bridles and there's a political and a religious. And then uh, it wasn't until Glasnost and all of that that Bible believers got a little bit of reprieve uh, and were able to start coming out of the closet, so to speak. But during the time of communism, uh, heavily persecuted, Bible believers were heavily persecuted in, uh, in communist countries uh, and are to this day, like China. And so uh, Rome is able to operate in those places much easier than uh, the Baptists. They're not running around bulldozing Catholic churches nearly as quickly as they are. um, Or, yeah, Catholic churches as quick as they will the Baptist church, like right now in China. So um, anyway, so uh, countries, uh, all the Slavic countries, um, there's just a dividing line. Poland is Catholic. You go to the west and, like, uh, Belarus, Russia... Ukraine all that there's going to be Orthodox all the way just divide that all the way down to Constantinople so the Orthodox Church is kind of up that up through the up into Russia and then the east side is the Roman Catholic Church which but the the Roman Catholic Church is by far much much more influential and large than the Eastern Eastern Orthodox or the Coptic Church of, uh, of uh, Egypt all right so that's a good question so then tonight I'm going to pick up on the Inquisitions but before I do that I just want to touch on these seven—are um, there, there any questions thus far? I want to just touch on these seven um, um, crusades just a little bit further um, because there these, re- these, uh, these, these reasons for their crusades aren't altogether unfounded either. I mean, some of it, when you mix the church and state together, um, <clears throat> which, was, was, which is—that's another thing. From an American perspective, we say you mix the church and state together you kind of if you're a good american right you're just like yeah that's terrible right we don't we don't do that that's why we're free and we want that and we need that you know separation of church and state's awesome in that regard so we're free to worship and uh without being uh, ruled by the state all right but before the united states of america you just didn't have that just to be frank with you i mean the concept of uh of of separating church and state was was un, was not something that was very uh, well thought out, now, there was a little more of that in Rome. it was so it was so, um, uh, so many you could just worship any God, so there was some freedom for Bible believers in Rome. You can even see that as Paul moves through, I mean he was very aware of what was lawful in Rome and what was not lawful. And there was a lot that 's why the church grew so much, even under persecution through those ten uh, Roman persecutions in the first three hundred years, because there was a way for the church to, to it was a lot more liberty. Uh, they were not, you know, they were not making the winners and losers as much. They still were. Um, but they weren't, you know, you could still have some freedom. Sort of like you would have in India. You know, you can worship any God you want until your God's the only God. That's always the problem, right? You can worship, you know, 500 gods, a 1,000 gods. They don't care, you know. Just do what you want to do until you say, great, but I'm going to worship Jesus, and that's the only God I'm going to worship. And then that's when there's a problem. That's all, all of a sudden, uh, you're, you are a problem because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. All men come unto him. So that's where you, you know, throughout history, that's where you're going to get the same pushback. Because, well, Jesus came to his own. His own received you not. But also, the world doesn't receive him, right? So even to this day, you can get that pushback. All right, so let's talk about these crusades. I'm getting off track a little bit. Um, so this was the bloody time. So the, the crusades... Um, you know the first one was in, was about ten ninety six to ten ninety nine and early on, the Crusades had one goal, and that was just to recapture the Holy Land and make passage safe for those that wanted to make pilgrimage to visit the palace uh, i 'm sorry the places of the new testament so Even in 1000 A.D. tourism was a big deal. They wanted to get people uh, to be able to go and and look at the Holy Land. It was a make their their pilgrimage just like Islam does. So this would bring commerce to Rome as they brokered uh, the travel land industry. And uh, I'm not making fun of that. That's actually really true. If you go back to 1000 A.D., that was one of the motives. Uh, They wanted to have the Holy Land so they could have business and send people there. Uh, Because the actions of the Muslims, right, 600 A.D. and the Turks taking over control of the Holy Land... During the time of Muhammad, Christian pilgrims were being persecuted or killed on their way to the Holy Land, and that's really bad for the travel business. So the Crusades were first proposed in a petition from the Emperor of Constantinople to Pope Gregory in 1074, but it was not for another 20 years that anything was done. So in March of 1095 at the Council of Clermont, Pope Urban II proclaimed the Crusade, uh, proclaimed the, uh, Crusade to recapture the Holy Land. Which, by the way, that's why it's really not a good idea in this contemporary climate to say, we're going to have a gospel crusade. <laughs> because if you have an eclectic group of people like Islam and people from the East, they hear a crusade. They don't hear gospel, and they don't know what that means. They just hear, crusade! Christians in a crusade. So that's really a loaded phrase, by the way. So uh, Billy Graham used that crusade all the time, which was great, and it worked in America. But uh I probably wouldn't be using that term. Let's go to Iraq and have a crusade. Uh, <laughs> that's going to, people will be coming with their AKs or their American weapons that they bought out of Afghanistan, whatever. But anyway, so, uh, um, so the history records that Crusader, after Crusader, was interested primarily in establishing uh, their own land grants. So often they would fight over their other towns, declaring themselves kings of these kingdoms, such as Antioch or Tunis. Uh, totally missing the point of the Crusades to begin with, right? So once they get going, they kind of become, get their little fiefdom going, and they go, well, you know, I'm going to be the king of Antioch, or I'm going to be the king of whatever. I, I like this town in Syria. It's got a nice nice restaurant over here and, you know, a good place for my sheep. I'm going to go ahead and become the king of this place. I got an army. Who's going to stop me? So that kind of stuff was going on. People were becoming, uh, you know, getting ahead of them, getting a little full of themselves. One historian wrote that it was the will of the soldiers and Rome that pushed the men to Jerusalem because their leaders were content to establish their own kingdoms along the way. So they weren't super motivated to get to the promised land. They were kind of like, well, you know, uh, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and I'm getting to the Inquisitions, guys, so I'm not there yet. Does that say Inquisition? Yeah. yeah. I'll get there in a moment. So the first crusade was called the, the People's Crusade, which we have in our notes. It began with preaching of Peter uh, the hermit. Sounds like a band, doesn't it? Peter and the Hermits, Peter the Hermit and Walter the Penniless, um, and so uh, these two were able to incite the common peasants of France and Germany to go to war to retake the Holy Land, and the people were motivated by papal indulgence that declared all their prior sins were forgiven. So you can kind of tell how like ignorant people were. You know, the priest comes out and says, "If you go to war, uh, you know what? All your sins are forgiven," and they're like, "Okay, you know, I'm going to do that," and so. Um, they really had a grip over the people, unfortunately. It's very sad and disgusting. But the people were motivated, and they, uh, held, they were held under a vow that, that, uh, uh, to prevent them from uh, returning home. And they made a vow to visit the sepulcher of Jesus once arriving at Jerusalem, and that was attested by the wearing of a cross on one's clothing. So that's where that come up, came up with. If a crusader returned uh, without accomplishing the mission, they would be punished. So this was doomed to fail as there, were no solid, there was no solid leadership and the people were not trained warriors. So another issue is that they, uh, that they had is they were uh, poor on discipline. So they really weren't ready to be an army. On the way to Constantinople, in order to get uh, provisions they needed, they needed, they attacked the Jews that were living in Germany and other places along the way. And their reasoning was that if the goal was to kill the enemies of God in Jerusalem, what was wrong with killing them on the on the way there? Because, of course, uh, Rome uh, is very anti-Semitic uh, for the most part. And uh, that reveals the Catholic Church has long held the Jews to be the enemies of God because they crucified Jesus. And that flies in the face of what God teaches us in His Word in Romans eleven twenty eight. by the way. So we don't teach that here at Heartland. This group was defeated by the Turks at Nica- Nicaea in October of 1096. And, uh, by the way, for those of you that have come from Roman Catholic families and have older Roman Catholic relatives like I've had that go back to the first part of the 1900s, you will know they are a bit anti-Semitic at times. So um, I don't know about you. Is that was that the case? You probably don't want to say that out loud, so I'm just going to keep that quiet. But uh, I'll talk about my house, nobody else's. But at least in my family, that uh, seemed to be the case. Those that, uh, Roman Catholics coming out of Germany, uh, and I'm only speaking for that sect, uh, were pretty anti-Jewish uh, so not surprising I mean even the ones that went to fight for America were like not all that worked up about what they were doing to the Jews to be honest with you so some of them I'm not saying all of them and so that was the Roman Catholic uh, doctrine so they grew up learning as a kid so because why is that why, 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 would, why would that be the case just let me pause there So put, I don't want to just paint them as anti-Semitic why would, why would you be anti-Semitic in that context does anybody know Does anyone know what anti-Semitic is? Okay. Anti-Jew. Yeah, anti-Jew. No, so they, uh, Jesus. Right. So the teaching is they crucified Jesus. It's not, you know, you don't take the time to say Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I put Jesus on the cross, right? Just, so obviously the Jews did, in a sense, crucify Jesus for sure. No doubt about it. Um, as a nation, and they will pay. If you don't have a dispensational view of the Bible... You don't understand the wrath of God and the Daniel seventieth week and all of that. God does deal with all of that, but it's not our place, right? Uh, and God loves—he loves His chosen people. He wants to redeem them just as much as us. I mean, we are only—we're only grafted in because of their rejection. So we should be thankful that God's so gracious, right? So we understand that because we've read Romans and we understand Revelation and we understand what God's doing uh, in time. But when you don't have a Bible and it 's taken from you, and the priest' class is put over you, and you do what we tell you you don 't actually you 're not literate to start with, and you you get pulled into all this imagery and all this paganism and all these other religious uh, activity, people just don 't know, and so part of that then becomes, well, these people killed Jesus, so I should kill them they 're the enemies of God oh wait a minute you 're supposed to kill Islam, but oh well,'ll go ahead you know so it 's just more property, more land, more money for us so um, so you can imagine. How that went. So, a second group of crusaders under the leadership of Godfrey uh, Bullion uh, fought uh, all the way to Jerusalem and captured Jerusalem on se- June 15th of 1099. And they slaughtered the Muslims and the Jews in Jerusalem. And so, it's interesting to note that the first successful capture of Jerusalem came after 12,000 men besieged the city unsuccessfully. A man had a dream that revealed they had been selfish in their motives for taking Jerusalem from the Muslims. So the men repented and walked around the city barefoot as the dwellers in Jerusalem mocked them. Nine days later, Jerusalem was taken and its inhabitants massacred. So, uh, so 12,000 men, that's as, that's as big as, Kansas, or as Harrisonville. And so that's a lot of people uh, on, the, on the crusade. So that was the first crusade. The second crusade was uh, 1147 to 1148, and it was inspired by the preaching of Bernard, Bernard uh, Clairvaux. And uh, the second crusade uh, tried to take Damascus, which is Syria, of course. And the Turks had begun to uh, retake the Holy Land. Uh, so the church tried to retake the land again. And this crusade failed. Uh, and by 1187, the Muslim leader Saladin retook Jerusalem. So Saladin was quite a Muslim leader. I mean, he was really prolific, uh, very wise, too, in his, uh, in his war. So the third crusade was 1189 through 1192, the crusade was led by Richard the Lionheart of England, very popular uh, leader, and uh, the purpose was to recapture the Holy Land again since it had been uh, recaptured by Saladin. So this crusade failed, but a treaty was signed protecting the pilgrims. So Richard even offered his sister in marriage to Saladin's brother and giving Jerusalem as a joint dowry. So, uh, you know, the kings of the earth, that's what they do is they marry off their kiddos to each other and build, you know, kingdoms and trade routes and make more money together. All right, so the fourth crusade was 1200 to 1204 and this crusade uh, was to capture uh, Egypt as a base of operations for future crusades into Jerusalem. So they kind of needed a a jumping off point. Uh, And so they ended up conquering uh, Constantinople and the Eastern Church and they also uh, pillaged many of the relics and took them back to Rome. Uh, This further deepened the hatred between Roman uh, and the Greek Church. So you're getting up to about 1200 A.D., at that point. And then the fifth crusade was in 1212. That crusade was known as the children's crusade. And I don't know how much Mark talked about that last week, but it, it, man, that was terrible. It was based on the, on the vision of a shepherd boy in France. And the idea was that the innocence and purity of children assured victory, but the group was about 100,000 between eight and 17 years old. These are children. Uh, And of course, a 17 year old at that time was a man, but many died of hunger and war and the rest became slaves. Uh, and I have other accounts I've read where they got to this, the southern shore there on the Mediterranean in the south of France or Spain, I don't recall which, and immediately the Muslims just took them. I mean, it was over. I mean, it's so sad. I mean, it's just heartbreaking to think about. If that was my little nine ten year old kid, I just would be devastated. And uh, if they didn't kill him, they became human slaves, which God only knows what that means, you know. So, um, so anyhow, that didn't work very good. The Albigensians were blamed and uh, heavy and heavily persecuted in the later Crusades. So they, the Albigensians were Bible believers like us, and they they ended up becoming the goat. Uh, why the Crusades didn't work uh, because they were heretics, and and uh, you know it was their fault. God couldn't bless. So the seventh, uh, the sixth Crusade was led by Frederick II of Germany and William of Holland. Frederick agreed to split Jerusalem with the Muslims, and we're still working with that deal. And he crowned himself king and was excommunicated by, excommunicated by the Pope. Uh, once he did that, he's like, hey, Pope's like, hey, wait a minute. I'm the only king around here. I'm king. <laughs> you ain't taking back my job. And so uh, he was done. Seventh Crusade was uh, 1248, not long after that. And that was the last crusade led by Louis the uh, Ninth of France. It was complete and total failure as the will of Allah defeats God's will. So... Um, That's where that ended up. And, of course, you still see where the Muslims are today, all surrounding Jerusalem. So uh, there you go. So that's a little bit about world history through the the eyes of the Crusades. Now we're going to talk about the Inquisitions, which gets us back to where we are in our notes. So the Inquisitions, these are probably the most horrific and barbaric events um, uh, in the history of mankind. They are are really terrible. Um, Probably Hitler's atrocities are not as bad. Although those are horrible, as some of what went on during the Inquisition, so you have that information there you know um, there's there's in uh, I will say that there is such a good record of the torment that went on because of it's almost it's unbelievably wicked how um the Jesuits, not just the Jesuits, but the normal priests would just record. In detail, the agony, the the methods, the I mean, just vivid detail. So a lot of the crusade information has been preserved, and it's it's really disgusting. So at uh, and so uh, let's see. So here's uh, we're going to give an account of a man who suffered in three respective times, but did survive cruelties uh, that he endured at the, his first torturing. Six executioners stripped him of his underwear. "'laid him on his back on, onto a stand a few feet from the floor, "'then uh, put an iron collar around his neck "'and a ring on each foot, which fastened him to the stand. "'With his limbs being stretched out, "'they, would, uh, they wound two ropes around each thigh, "'and each rope was uh, then fed through holes in the stand. "'And at a, at a given signal, the, the four men pulled on the ropes uh, "'simultaneously, and the ropes cut through "'the prisoner's flesh to the bone.' Uh, and this was done four times in a row because the believer would not recant. After a few months, the same torture was done again. Two months later, he endured an entirely different kind of torture. A thick chain was wrapped around his chest and then uh, were fastened to uh, his wrist. A rope was tied to, to chains on his wrist and with his back and against a board, and they began to pull the ropes behind him until his wrists and shoulders were severely dislocated. And uh, surgeons then quickly set the bones... And he endured the same torture again. He was then thrown into the dungeon for quite some time until he was released crippled and diseased for life. So anybody want to sign up for that? Of course not. So the Inquisitions were exceedingly brutal and cruel. Um, uh, and the Inquisition is still one of the most fearsome things in history. Its sole purpose was to weed out heresy, hiding under the secret proceedings where the, accuser, the accusers were not named Many people were charged with heresy, right? And you didn't know who charged you. Um, And one of the considerations was that heretic's property was split by the church and the accuser. So if you had some nice property, it might benefit some, somebody to go into league with the church so that they could get someone's uh, property. You could see the problem there. So that meant that anyone could be accused, any one of their neighbors of heresy, without having to face them and then receive part of the property. And of course, once you get tortured enough, you'll say what you need to say just to die or get it over with. so those who were accused were liable to torture under the bull of a pope of pope innocent I'm sorry the the fourth in twelve fifty two the those who could not explain why their uh, explain away their guilt or who were either voluntarily or by torture were de- delivered to secular authorities for punishment, knowing that they would be burned at the stake. the rationale is that They are guilty against uh, treason to God. So if you crossed the church, and you were found guilty, then you were turned over for execution and punishment. So uh, again, uh, we live in a country where there's due process. There's a reason there's due process, uh, because the inquisitions were on the books when before this nation was well after this nation was formed. The inquisitions were being executed all the way up into the 1800s. A lot of people don't realize that, and they still are open. There's still, it's still a, a formal process that the, the church can utilize, which I'm sure they will in the coming tribulation. So the Dominican monks, the order of uh, Dominic was uh, known as the Hounds of the Lord, and they was founded in, it was founded in 1216 during this dark time because the, the Dominic pitied the Albigensians for their heresy. Uh, initially, they tried preaching and intellectual persuasion. In 1233, they became the official inquisitors by authority of Pope Gregory the IX. And after a while, they lost their scholarly view as they tortured and burned the heretics. So they got increasingly harder and harder and harder and harder against Albigensians because Albigensians were very effectual because they were preaching the Bible. The Spanish Inquisition, uh, which many of us heard about, um, after many years of disunity in Spain, Ferdinand and Isabella tried to unite Spain under Catholicism. Uh, With permission from the Pope, they began in 1478, first by driving out the Jews and nonbelievers... Uh, Torquemada uh, became the Inquisitor General in 1483 and established procedures both locally and nationally. People accused of heresy were brought before a public tribunal. Uh, there, they were given a chance to confess and indict other heretics, <laughs> so you can rat out your neighbor. And they confessed and indicted others that they would be if they didn't. I'm sorry, if they confessed and indicted others, they would be sentenced to life in prison. If they did not confess, they would be publicly killed. And the Spanish Inquisition was finally suppressed. In 1834, right after the American Revolution, and so, um, uh, yeah, that's there's a lot. The Albigensians, by the way, were concentrated in France, and so, uh, that's that's the reasons that there was so much going on in that part of Europe. Okay, so, uh, in our notes, it's the Roman church has never officially repented of these acts, so there's no, there's been not a letter. You could barely get him to confess and repent. Just in the last whatever decade, for helping Hitler arrange, you know, his leadership structure. Everyone knew Hitler's SS was a, you know, the Jesuits helped him with that. But nobody, but it was, it was, you know, just wasn't talked about. Finally, they came out about a decade ago and say, "Well, yeah, we're sorry, we did support the SS and Mussolini and all that." Yeah. yeah, you did. So anyway, the Roman Church has never officially repented though of these acts, uh, and so every believer must take time periodically to read about the Inquisitions. I think that's a good idea. Reading Fox's Book of Martyrs is good. uh, But there's other... If you specifically read about some of the Inquisitions, it's unbelievable. I mean, it will change the way you look at history, for sure. And um, everybody today in the West here has rose-colored glasses. Um, And and you look at what I just said, 1834 in history. That's not long ago. That's not very long ago at all. You can go down here, what, last decade to... uh, Chiapas, Mexico, and get killed by a Roman Catholic priest now. Or you can go on a missions trip with Heartland and get ran out of town with stones by a Roman Catholic priest in India. I mean, so, I mean, this stuff is not that far away from us, but people think, oh, that's just, you know, because we live in a wonderful environment, praise God, and God's given us peace and rest here. But, uh, man, I tell you what, um, guys, it's another world uh, when you get outside of, you know, the USA, even to this day. And so you run up against the wrong... The, the the church and you could come out on the the bad end of things. So after the Crusades, you got this important note: the Inquisitions and the Inquisitions. The Catholic Church was still set on taking their religion to the ends of the earth. Of course, that's that's the word universal. They're a universal church. And I, I had a great book, and I lost it. If somebody has it, give it back to me. But it was an old book around the early 1900s. It was in English that the Roman Catholic Church had put out. This is long before Vatican II. And everything in that book very much gives the same tone that you're seeing here that I'm talking about in church history. After Vatican II, they took a softer approach, um, which is great. I'm not against that. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, for most of the, the history of the church, it's been very, very difficult against people who would not agree with them. And it's very, uh, very much like what we're talking about in history here. So the, the, uh, So that introduced us to the time of Christopher Columbus, Right, so they were, you know, it was Charlemagne, they're making kings. We talked about Pope Leo uh, ordaining Charlemagne. I think, did we t- talk about that in here? Okay. I get confused. I'm also doing Revelation in, in uh, HBI, so and I'm in the first, still in the first part of the churches. And so I kind of get, what did I talk about over here? Because one's a little bit more prophetic looking forward, but you still touch on history, mystery, Babylon, religion. And this one is all just history. So I kind of get confused what I say where. But at any rate, um, so the uh, the uh, the expansion of the Roman Church, uh, you know, again they were kingmakers. They were they were property barons. This was big business. It still is to this day, um, and so they have a lot of influence. Uh, so Christopher Columbus, you know, that's how he was financed, um, and and so the idea, of course, is that he he being a Roman Catholic. Um, he wasn 't just going out to see the world, but there was obviously riches involved with that that would enrich which would enrich the church, which would give them more power and so a Roman Catholic that wanted to see the world uh, you know could become a Catholic uh, and become universal right but do you know there's those has the nina the the penta the san maria god 's providence, and the flock of birds what 's that about Well it is interesting as as he was as the uh, Columbus was coming to this land. Uh, I believe God directed him away to the south. Uh, And how he did that was by birds. They were getting very concerned that they were not going to find land. And on September 14th of 1492, they finally saw birds that gave them hope of land. And then on the 17th, they found a tropical bird. On the 19th, a pelican, which a pelican can only be like 25 uh, leagues out or whatever. So the depth of the water was, was, they knew they were getting closer to the shore, but they still hadn't seen it. And then on the 30th of September, there was tropical birds and then once they saw tropical birds they saw large flocks of birds which they actually then directed their ships to follow those large flocks of birds which is wise you know for a sailor and uh, of course the october 7th i believe uh i don't know when did they land does anybody know what date it was i don't remember huh october 10th so about 3 days later they hit the hit the shore so um and of course that was a that established the catholic presence to the south of uh you know the southern part, which ended up becoming Mexico, and um, the uh, Caribbean islands and all of that. And so um, so there's commendation, Revelation 3, 4. So it's not all bad for this church, praise the Lord. So I give you, I've given you that, and that's in your notes. So let me pause there. <clears throat> and by the way, just to keep history straight, since we're talking history, it is very well documented that the Norse were here long before Christopher Columbus. It's just not taught in school that way. So, I wonder why. So, well, because Rome wants to take credit. As a matter of fact, Mexico still wants some of. The, they want. They want to go anyway. I won't get into all that. There, there, there's a lot of tension. You know, the Spanish-American War and all that stuff. Um, of course, fortunately, Mexico's got their independence, but Spain has had their. You know, they still have a league here. If you can, watch, you can see it. Uh, a few years ago, the uh, leader of Spain yelled at uh, the guy that ran. Uh, not Colombia. What's the one? Venezuela. Remember that dictator, uh, uh, Hugo Chavez, down there. Uh, they were at a meeting and he wouldn't shut up. And the guy looks. It was all of the Latin, all of the Latin pastors, all the Latin uh, leaders, including Hugo Chavez. And Hugo Chavez just would not shut up. And uh, uh, I think his name's King Ferdinand, just like the old King Ferdinand. Looked at him and yelled at him and said, "Would you shut up?" <laughs> and so it was funny. I remember that. But I also remember I was when I was watching that. I was like, "How incredible it is." All of these, all of these uh, Latins are still underneath the oversight of Spain and thereby the Church. Uh, of, uh, and so, it's, it's very interesting. So, uh, a lot of ties there politically and economically. All right. So, the condemnation in Revelation three four, the Bible says, um, "Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they that walk with me in white, for they are worthy." All right. Well, that's good. Who are they? Uh, so um, we're going to get to that. So these are the, this was a remnant that would not defile themselves with the harlot. They stayed pure, which they were separatists, just like Baptists. So these were saints that were never part of the Roman religious system. These were saints who were against Rome before the Reformers came along. And, and there's lots of evidence that they were, they were, there were prolific preachers of that time period, period. That motivated much of the Reformation. I got a book. I got a book back here in the library. Uh, It's it's not an easy read. It's kind of hard to read actually. It's a paperback book, but it's got a lot. It's very wordy. Um, It's kind of scholarly, and uh, it has a lot of information on that very thing. Who were the real reformers? I forget the name of it now, but uh, it's in the library. It's a white book, and it has the title "Reformers" in it, and uh, it's that's the essence of it. It's, It's escaping me right now, but that's a good book to read on that. There's good works out there. On uh, you know, Tyndale's being influenced and other preachers and and uh, people motivated by Bible believing preaching. And they weren't called Baptists at that time, but in essence, they were Bible believers, and uh, they were not part of the Roman Church, and they were definitely predated the Reformation. So, um, and another important note is Baptists are often referred to as Protestants, and I told you I touch on this earlier. We are not Protestants. Uh, our spiritual lineage did not come out of or attempt to reform the Roman Catholic Church. So we are uh, at Heartland, um, our Living Faith Fellowship, all the churches that we fellowship with, uh, in large part, there are today there are more Baptists that are going Calvinistic, which then puts you in a reform camp. Uh, but historically, most Baptists were not reformers or counted themselves as part of that reform. That's why there is a separation of church and state. Congregationalism... Was taking off in the in the colonies because there were Baptistic preach. There's baptistic preaching going on, so uh, Roger Williams and guys like that were preaching the word of God, and they were Baptists. The first Baptist churches in Rhode Island and uh, preaching the word of God. John Smith and guys like that. So um, that 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 you know that forced a lot of those guys that were in a in a uh, reform um, uh, a reform model like. A, for instance Jonathan Edwards who I give all kinds of credit to um, he was magistrate he was religious head he was he was everything to his community I and mean, he was the local I mean everything fell upon the the the, the pastor the bishop of that community uh, but yet he was working out he could see if you go back and read his stuff he could see that you know being born again into the church wasn't working getting baptized and having your identity in the church which is what the Westminster uh westminster confession guys were doing is that you know you sprinkle the babies uh now they're covered by the church they're safe until confirmation then once they go through confirmation then they can get you know they can make an adult decision but they're safe in the church and all of that garbage wasn't working he had an unregenerate group of people that were just coming to church because they'd come to church just like you have in america today i'm a christian because i live in america well no you're not a christian until you're born again where did that preaching come from? It came from Bible believers. Came from Baptists preaching the Word of God, preaching what the Bible teaches about salvation. And so, uh, and so there's a, there were, there's always been faithful people that have not bought in uh, to um, the Holy Roman Empire big time. And so the uh, the few who believed during the Sardis period. And by the way, I'm I'm saying this, and I have relatives that may be watching tonight, and I have a lot of Catholic relatives. Uh, shout out to y'all! I love Catholics. So everyone. All you in here that have been born again and have been Roman Catholics, I love Roman Catholic people. I'm not mad at Catholics. just want to make that declaration real quick. Um, I'm just talking about the history. And so if the history makes you mad and you're like, man, you hate Catholics. I don't hate Catholics. I love Catholics. I don't have a problem with Catholics. But I'm just telling you the truth about the church. It is what it is. I mean, just watch The Godfather, man. I mean, come on. Even the world. Even Martin Scorsese knows that. So everybody knows that if you're paying attention. So uh, anyway, so it is what it is, and it's a sham. So, um, you know, if that makes you mad, then I can't help you. But Jesus loves you, and I love you, and God bless you. Okay. So, Albigensians, and uh, these are some names that that uh, did hold fast. The Albigensians, uh, Bulgarians. Well, you've heard of Bulgaria. Uh, Waldensians, Cathari, um, the Petro uh, Petrobusians, I think Petrobusians. The uh, uh, Arnoldists, I think they live down here near Adrian. Uh, The Hussites, uh, the (laughs) Henrichians, some of you get that. uh, The Henrichians, I know some Henriches. So uh, the the New Manichians, uh, the Lollards, and the Anabaptists. So that's a pretty large swath of uh, Bible believers. That's why this is called a Bible Believer's Biblical Heritage. You don't see the term Baptist show up until, you know, the, much later. Um, but these are the groups that are holding it down uh, through that, that period of the Dark Ages before the Reformation. So these groups are also branded as heretics. So as you go through church history and you read Philip Schaff, most of these groups are going to be heretics. So why are they heretics? Because they do not go along with Rome. And so you've got to read with wisdom. So there are at least uh, five major points of theology that all these groups had in common. And and so, just to be clear, we kind of romanticize these sometimes. They did not all believe, I mean, we wouldn't want to fellowship with all these groups, okay? But they had tenets in them that, that, that kept them free. Here are, And that's what we're going to look at, and you have them listed in your notes. The Bible alone was the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. That's huge. Even for people that don't get it right. <laughs> I mean, at least they believe that's the authority. That means there's an opportunity for correction once you take the bible out of someone's hands and you say nope the mystical universal church is now your authority you are in big trouble that's why this book is what it's all about that's why we're out here in the armory making bibles right now um well not right this second but you know you know we're getting ready to have a bible conference and that's why we're doing that because we got to get the word of god where it needs to go on time because it makes a difference in uh, in freeing people's hearts from the bondage of sin in their minds uh from uh, the bondage of of this world, the flesh and the devil, okay baptism was not connected with salvation in any way. Now, some of these were still sprinklers, uh, and some weren't many though were baptism by immersion only right so uh, so that was also uh, you know a plus separation of church and state, no state churches uh, that is definitely uh, very um, prominent you know separating the church from the state from the principality. that that ruled so the sovereign was no longer uh the king the sovereign was god so back in this again this time period that's when you have the magna carta right 1200 a.d so the magna carta comes forth and that was the primary uh revolutionary thought was that you know what um king you're a subject to god just like we are over here us dukes are subject to god you're subject to god there's a higher power than you i mean we're like well yeah duh as Americans, we know that we're like, yeah, he puts his pants on like we do. Everybody's gonna answer to God, but that's not how the, the society operated. So actually, saying that, you know, you are subject to the, to a higher power, to a king, uh, or to a you know a land baron was like, he has to treat people with certain amount of of uh, respect, else he forfeits his responsibility. That is the very premise. That's why the Magna Carta is so big because the premise of it. Which was taken on steroids when, with the founding fathers here in the United States, uh, was that okay? Then King George has done the same thing. He has advocated his uh, opportunity to rule over us, and we are going to form a more perfect union by God's grace. You know, we're going to trust God to do this ourselves. That he doesn't because he's he's he has he has uh, forfeited his right by the way he's treated us. Taxation without representation, uh, in Boston, right the the, the Boston Massacre. Uh, uh, all of the things that they had as their their list of reasons, plus all the Baptists were getting persecuted big time, and so Baptists were really a big part of that. <laughs> They're like, "Yeah, let's get this guy, get this bozo off of us," and so uh, and so that was really uh, a big part of that. And guys like Jonathan Edwards before the Revolution were already sorting this out, so Madison was able to call on Edwards' uh, writings because what Edwards was doing was sorting out in a congregational sense how do I get my congregation regenerate. This whole thing of being the head of the, the community, the head of the church, the head of everything, and everything being under my thumb is not working, right? We've got to separate this ecclesiastically from the political. So he had writings on that. He died at like 53. He wasn't very old. And, um, and, and of course, the framers of the Constitution, uh, Madison and then Jefferson and others, were able to you know, continue that thought forward. But all of that comes to the, the idea that there's a higher authority that the king is not the ultimate authority. Yeah, God may, in his providence has put him there, and we should honor the king, and we should pray for him. But at the end of the day, so they said, you know what, let's just do this. Let's just, not have a, let's just get rid of the king, and we're going to do it based on the people voting. So mix the iron with the clay and see what comes up with it. So eventually the Antichrist. But anyway, that's another story. So, uh, so the, at the end of the day, these things were being worked out through Bible-believing people preaching the word of God, and they would never pray to any other person that was dead, uh, nor give any credence uh, to the mythological place of purgatory. They knew that was a sham. It's not in the Bible. Uh, and they, they completely rejected the Roman Catholic Mass and anything connected to it, and they rejected the Eucharist uh, as they should have outright. So uh, these groups, these Albigensians, the Waldensians, and all those that the, the were, the, were listed there, the new uh, Manichians, uh, and so on and so forth. The Lollards, man, the Lollards, and babbler that's what Lollard means. Same thing they called Paul. What is this Babbler going to say? Um, these guys, they I mean, they turned the world upside down. Wherever they were preaching, things were happening. All right, so, uh, so let's talk about God's uh, credence and counsel. I just wanted to talk a little bit more about these groups, but we'll pick them up later. Uh, verse 5 is often used to teach that you can lose your salvation, so let's just stop there, and uh, we'll wrap it up. He that overcometh The same shall be clothed with white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, uh, but I will confess his name before my Father and before His angels. So, it guarantees that anyone who overcomes will not be blotted out of the book of life, but Jesus will confess his name before the Father and before His angels. So, the proof text for that uh, is Revel is Revelation chapter uh, or First John four four and. 1 John 5, 4, and i got to be done because I'm out of time. Everyone needs to hear this message, um, but uh, too bad they will not. So 1 John 4, 4, real quick, I'm going to read that. It says, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says, for whatsoever is born of God uh, overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so, also like I've been teaching in, the, in a Sunday morning, when you get in the general epistles in Revelation, you have to be very careful about applying salvation doctrine outside of what you know from clearly in the Pauline epistles. So, because they're transitional books into the coming tribulation period. All right. So, ready break. We're done. I used every spare second I had. I appreciate your attendance. Are there any questions? I went through a lot in a little bit of time. Are you guys, are you tracking with me? Is this still interesting? Are you ready to check out? Yes, ma'am. That's a good question. The date of Joan of Arc, she was in France. Isn't she about 1100 or so? Somebody look that up, Google it, and uh, tell me the answer. I don't recollect. Um, I don't think so. When did Joan of Arc live? Oh, 1412, May 30th. So she was way late. Now, she was in this time period, though. So in the 1430s. So next time we get together, we'll we'll be moving into the Philadelphian church age, which is 1500 to 1900. So, yeah, she was just right before uh, that era. So right right as the, the Gutenberg press was getting ready to come out and revolutionize the world with the technology of the written word. All right. So... Um, or the printed word, I should say, not the written word. All right, thanks for your time. Thank you for the opportunity. It sounds like the kids are still doing some happy birthday action over there, so we're not too late, but I will get you out of here so you can pick up your kids. Thank you for coming. If you're just joining us, you're online, you can still. We're in D1 tonight, or D2 one D tonight. Not too late to still get in D2. If you've been through D1 you still want to jump in, uh, uh, sign up, or if you can't sign up, see Jason McGuire, uh, see Luke Fleshman. We'll see what we can do about getting you involved in that. Uh, I think we've got, we got a pretty good class. I think we've got like 10 people in D2, so that's awesome. Um, and so praise the Lord for that. Also, remember the Bible conference is coming up. Make sure to get online and sign up for that so we have an idea how much food to prep, where you're going to work and all that because uh, Randy and Bob are going to need to know how to arrange all that. So be praying about that. Give toward that. Uh, we got about 19 days before that launches, and it's going to be a great time. It's going to be a good conference this year. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you.